10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Live from London, this is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Good afternoon, the time is 1pm on Sunday the 7th of November and you're tuned in to the Sunday Lunch Show with me, Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. In today's show, I've set a personal record and I'll be joined by not one, not two, but three guests all at once. All of my guests are brand new heads of year and we'll be discussing what the pastoral world is really like. If you're new to role or think about taking the leap into the pastoral abyss, this is a show for you. Live from London. This is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash lsw slash TT Radio or search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon, good afternoon. I've got the keenest guests raring to go already in the studio. Guys, take time. You do not need to call in yet. Let's just wait for the audience to arrive. You guys are trying to jump on stage when the crowd hasn't even sat down in their seats. Let's just chill. I was doing the intro and I had my guests just pinging, say, let me in, let me in, let me in. I love, I love the um, the energy. I think it's just, you know, when you're a guest on the show, sometimes you never really, and you, maybe if you haven't done it before, you get those jitters or those nerves thinking, let me just check the technicals actually are going to work. They will work. So I haven't even introduced you before you call in. So just for people that are in the room, I see the room um, kind of filling up. Just as I said in the intro, my name is Khalil Rouse, and this is the Teachers Talk Radio Sunday Lunch Show. I am here as much as possible every single Sunday um, from 1 till 2.30. And today, I've wanted to have a show like this for ages. This is a show with a pastoral focus, more specifically about heads of year. And I'm going to be joined by three new heads of year. I can't even remember what it's like to be a new head of year, but... I want to hear their stories and so I can live, we can all reminisce, learn, learn together, share best practice and so on and so forth. Um, so my three guests, we've got Jonoy, um, we've got Lauren and we've got Lois. None of them wanted to give me their surnames because as a head of year, you know, kids will just do a nice little search of your surname on the internet. Maybe they don't want to be found, but they'll find you at some point, I'm sure. But it's all good. So they'll be joining me soon, guys. You don't need to... Um, call in just yet i've just seen i've changed the greeting message so in the greeting message as you joined it would have asked you hopefully to um who your favorite head of year was at school and why why that's my main karen welcome i see you in the studio i've got Seema here as always i've got christian i've got don rouse in the studio jono is here i've got someone with the initial with the name wfniasyb maybe that's one of my guests who knows um it'd be good to hear as you enter who was your favorite head of year at school and why what was it that made them such a great head of year were they just banterous did they just crack loads of jokes or were they very very strict did they have the kind of balance of warm strict were they just always around um did were they just really like inspirational it'd be great to hear um who your kind of favorite head of year was at school and why because this is a head of year focus focus show we'll be talking about what it's like to just take the leap into the pastoral abyss as i call it and an abyss it 
is. If you've been ahead of year before, it is an abyss. What we're going to do, because I've got my guests raring to go, let me just double check. John, I can see you. Let me just double check if Lois and Lauren are in the studio as well. Lois and Lauren, if you're in the studio, just send me a quick message in the chat to let me know that you're here. Because if you are, then we're going to get the show on the road in about two minutes or so. Um, like I said, John, I already see you, but Lauren and Lois, let me know if you're also in the studio with a quick message in the chat. How has everyone's week been? Do you know what I couldn't believe? I realised on Friday that we'd only been back to school for a week after half term. I could not believe it. We, were, my, my partner and I, my child, we were away over, over half term in the sunny Portugal getting nice 23s. That genuinely feels like it occurred at least a month ago genuinely as, as wonderful as the break was you just get when you come back into reality reality just slaps you in the face and you get back into the grind and the and the hustle and whatever you want to call it the hustle the bustle of teach of working in schools and you just there yeah, the half term's gone and it went with a whistle it was great went with a whistle hope you guys had a nice half term i know i wasn't on last week um if you miss me thanks if not don't worry about it but i'm here every week let's run this intro one more time lois is here and lauren is also here excellent so what we're gonna do gonna run the intro one more time and then during the intro my wonderful three guests you guys can call i know you're raring to go and then let's get this show on the road live from london this is the sunday lunch with khalil rouse on teachers talk radio Good afternoon. The time is now 1.06 on Sunday the 7th of November and you're tuned into the Sunday Lunch Show with me, Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. In today's show, I've set a personal record. I'm going to have three guests all at once. All of them are brand new heads of year and we'll be discussing what the pastoral world is really like. If you're new to role or thinking about taking the leap into the pastoral abyss, then this is the show for you. So tune in and talk it out and we are live. Live from London. This is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash LSW slash TT Radio or search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Woo! And just in the background, my three guests have snuck in and I've realised a couple of them put themselves on mute straight away. That is best practice in this situation. Just like being, when you arrive on those Teams calls, you know when you arrive on those Teams calls and you don't have your, your microphone on mute and you just arrive and you just embarrass yourself because everyone can hear you saying something like, ah, oh, flip's sake, why well, I'm going to have to be here? Or something along those lines. Not saying it's happened to me, but best practice in this situation, definitely to be on mute as you enter. Let's do a quick mic check. So let's start with, let's check. Everyone can use the facilities and the tech. Johnoy, are you there? Come off mute for me, please, if you're there. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, wow. good morning. Thanks for having me, man. Good afternoon, Johnny. How are we doing? Yeah, good afternoon, good afternoon, sir. Thanks for having me. No, no worries, no worries. Let's do another mic check. Have I got Lauren there? Morning. Or well, afternoon, no, afternoon. Yeah, I've said, do you know what? I've said <laughs> that, it's, it's been a, a long day already. <laughs> afternoon, Lauren. And then five, last but not least, Lois, are you there as well? I am. Good afternoon. Afternoon. Excellent. Right. Cool. This is, do you know what? This is a flipping first for me because I don't think I've ever, I've never had three guests all at once. So this is, this is a teacher's talk radio first for me. Normally I'm a one, two guest kind of guy. And even then it's usually one at a time, but this is like a proper panel and I love it. So what we're going to do and the way this is going to work is as I did all my planning behind the scenes, sent you guys out some questions, whether we get through all those questions, who knows? 
everyone that's listened to my shows in the past, I can have a plan. I can go off piece. It will end where it ends. Um, but there are questions. I might not ask all of you the same question. If I think we've heard enough, we're just going to move on. I've also got an article in the background that goes through some tips for being ahead of you. It'll be good for us to kind of critique um, critique the role as you guys have now kind of stepped into it. It's been had a half term of being heads of year. It'll be very interesting to see where you're, hear your reflections on this, uh, this article's advice on the role. So we're going to get into it. And the first question, I'm going to read out a question. And just like in lessons, I'm going to cold call. This feels like a, this feels like a lesson. I'm going to read, I'm going to ask a question and I'm going to cold call one of you three to kick us off. And the first question is why did you take the leap into the pastoral world? And I ask this because I know why I did it because I had no interest in trying. It sounds weird for me to say, but I had no interest in trying to get involved in developing curriculum. And also, I really didn't want to spend most of my time working with adults. <laughs> and it's, but that's the truth of me. Like working with like adults, I prefer to work really, really closely with the kids. That was one of my kind of reasons. But the question is, why have you taken the leap into pastoral? And I want to hear from... Lois, please. Nice bit of cold call in the afternoon. <laughs> afternoon. Um, <laughs> yeah, and much like you, really. I, I, I enjoyed teaching. I did it for quite a long time. But um, but my main passion in it was working with the children themselves. And I worked in quite a, um, I worked in quite a tough school before I took this role in a new school. And um, the the stuff that I found really re- rewarding was helping those children with their sort of wider lives, that holistic approach to education. Mm. So that really, that was why I wanted to get involved in the head of year's role. And I'm in quite a unique role in my position because I'm a non-teaching head of year. So my entire work life is devoted to the pastoral side of things. Excellent. And what year group are you ahead of year of? I'm year seven at the minute. And and that's because um, I've spent time, I spent about 10 years teaching in secondary, but for the last four years, I've been teaching in primary school. So I'm in quite a unique position there. No, very much so. Year seven is a, as well, every year is critical, but the transition period for year seven is very, very critical. So that, so that is a very unique experience that we are going to get into later on. Thank you for your contributions there. And then I'm going to pick on maybe one more of you and let's go to Johnny, please. Johnny, why, why pastoral for you? Um, I think for me, simply enough, it was a case of um, where I found myself making the most impact. Um, last year, um, I had a very much of a packed timetable, um, especially when I was taking on another, a new subject and leading that as well. And the general joy from my work, from my day-to-day um, activities came from my interactions with my tutor group. Um, and so for me, I am good at the teaching and learning. Um, I'm also good at the pastoral, but more so it's just, it just came down to where I see myself making the most impact. Yeah, no, I just, I'm with you on that one. I'm with it. It's their kids are just more fun than adults. I don't know if you just, I don't know if John, I don't know if you just agree with me on that. Just working with kids just seems just more, is more fun. They're more unpredictable. They're funnier. A lot of them, they're, they're a lot of the adults that I work with. I it's do. just, do you know what I mean? It's just, I think being on the ground with the kids and interacting with them and obviously seeing them more in the, and dealing with them in more as a holistic, as you said, as like a holistic child, rather than just your math student or your English student, just like you said, felt more rewarding for, and interesting for me as well, definitely. So I agree with you on that one. 
No, excellent. Right. Um, I've, these are the, do you know what? I don't want to get into the habit of asking everyone the exact same question unless the third person, which in this case is Lauren, has something like unique. You've got, you got a spin, Lauren. You've got like a unique reason that you don't think anyone's mentioned. If so, share it. If not, we're just going to move on because <laughs> I don't want to ask everyone the exact same question if we're going to hear the same thing. On, I mean, Lauren. I absolutely do. Um, my, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. My, uh, my reasoning, I didn't really know that I wanted to be in pastoral um, until it metaphorically slapped me in the face. Um, during lockdown, I ran a charity and sort of saw the poverty in my local area and, and, and things that needed changing, really. And then I just decided that the next step was you know to progress and I was interviewing for second in department and just kind of not getting anywhere with it and then all of a sudden I found this head of year role and I was like oh that that's it that's what I want to do and that that's how I ended up in pastoral. Fair enough and what year group are you the head of year of? Uh, year nine. Year nine yeah so we've got two we've got one year nine I believe Jono's year seven and Lois is year seven as well so year, year nine I, I, I say about every year year nine is pivotal as well because if you don't I've always said to kids if you don't get it right in year nine as in in terms of work ethic behavior um just attitude to learning and so on and so forth when think when when the, when the proverbial um something hits the fan in year 10 year 11 and you get the exam pressure it's difficult man year nine is where if you're if you're not mature yet in year nine then by the time you get to year 10 and 11, you're playing catch up the whole time. I don't know if you found, have you found, have you, are you reiterating that message at the moment or is, or your kids pretty prepared, do you think, in your nine? Um, I think they're, they're really struggling at the moment because of obviously the lockdowns and the, the time out of school. Um, realistically, we're, we're talking about them sort of coming back and thinking that it's almost like a year, early year eight mentality. So it's trying to reiterate that, like you've just said, that they are in year nine it's it's a really important year and they will be making choices that affect the rest of their lives so yeah, yeah that's the thing yeah i'm glad you mentioned um part well we call it pathways i don't what do you guys call it options or what do you call the whole process um well it's just it's choosing their options isn't it sort yeah. of after christmas time yeah yeah so that's pivotal and uh, and again it is just relaying to students Obviously, it's not, listen, how you're doing your exams is not the be-all and end-all of how your life will turn out. We know that. But at the same time, in terms of when you start when you start to narrow your potential path academically, you need to, like, raise the profile of it for the young people so that they do, they do take it seriously. They don't just select things on a whim. And it is easier said than done because what 14-year-old had, not many 14-year-olds have the kind of plan laid out saying, do you know what, I want to get into this job. And for this job, I need to... I need to get into, I don't know, maybe I need to get this degree. Oh, wait, hold on. For that degree, if I look at the unis, the unis tell me that I need to get these grades and they there are certain A-levels or, or courses that are more desirable. Oh, wait, hold on. To get those A-levels and those courses, what results do I need at GCSE? Uh, so who, no, not many year nines think like that. And in your role, I imagine, part of your and obviously the SLT, they obviously come into this as well. Um, I guess it's the timeline and communicating that to your year nines so that they realize the bigger picture. And it's not just, oh yeah, I like PE, so I'm just gonna pick PE, or I like French, I'm just gonna pick French. It's, hold on, yes, pick stuff that you like and everything else. But unfortunately with education, you do need, there are certain, you're not gonna be able to go and do do a medical degree at uni if you haven't got any sciences in your A-levels, for example. So I guess in your role, um, it must be quite important to explain that to your year nines as well. Is that the case? 
Yes, definitely. Yeah. And I'm really, really lucky that my SLT link for my year group is also in charge of uh, careers and things like that. So I'm I'm quite lucky in that sense to be working alongside her. She's fantastic. So it's just gearing them up for that, really, and having mm. those conversations quite early on. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm trying not to think about that too much at this moment in time, because it, like you said, it's, we're kind of playing catch up at the moment. Yeah, no, it must be tough. I guess coming into any new role is difficult, but I think one that where there's so much, not at, at stake, but I guess it is a, it's a pivotal kind of transitional year. So yeah, all the, I wish you all the best. Hopefully later on, we've got some, some guidance, some words of advice that can help all three of you. Right. Next question that I have lined up is, this is one where I think people used to ask me this. There was some, in my current school, there were people that were thinking about applying to become heads of year. And they were asking me, oh, when did you know that you were ready to take the step up and I say it's a step up because as you guys probably much what as you guys probably realize straight away the workload just becomes astronomical in a different way nothing like you've been used to before and I guess the question that I'm not asking is how if if you did know how did you know that you were ready to take that step up to then assume more responsibility was it a risk or you thought you know what now nah, I'm ready why did you know or when did you know that you're ready to apply for additional responsibility in the pastoral capacity and again I'm I'm just vent I'm just kind of doing a bit of um what's the word I'm using what do they call it in the crowds when you're just don't know I'm just talking to give you guys enough thinking time <laughs> but I'm gonna talk to now uh Lois when did you know you're ready or did you know, did you ever know? Are you ever ready? Who knows? When did you know you're ready to apply for a new responsibilities? Um, yeah, for me, it wasn't so much um, a case of feeling ready for it. It was more a case of the role that looked like the exact role I was looking for came up. So for me, because my job is non-teaching, um, it was that idea that I could shift into a fully pastoral role. That was what really sort of made the decision for me. It was the fact that the role itself was unique and that was where I really felt my sort of um, interest and my talents lay. So it was more that the role became available rather than I was looking for it. It was sort of a, almost like a fate kind of mm. situation. No, I understand that. Do you miss teaching? Um, I, I do miss having sort of more extended time um, with with groups of children because I, I tend to spend a lot of my time at the minute with individual students one-on-one -on -one, which is great but I do miss that I do miss teaching kind of I miss that um you know those light bulb moments and I miss kind of that interaction with groups of children yeah yeah and no, I get it because I think in my what I was talking about with my colleagues recently and listen I love teaching I teach maths I love it but I, I don't want to do it that much like I'm, I'm more than happy to have a little like I, li I like to I like to dip my toe into a bit of maths every day but then I'm happy to spend most of my time not teaching um yeah. that's just me but, but there's some people what I know we've probably all got colleagues who when you when they, the thought of dealing with pastoral issues a whole day is like the the worst thing they could ever think of doing with their time for such you know what I mean there are some there are some colleagues where they're like I don't know how you do it I don't know how you can deal with like sorting out issues and fights and problems and arguments and social media and this and that and whatever else on a day-to-day -day basis because they just don't want to. And I'm like, I don't know how you could teach five periods a day because I don't want to do that either. So everyone's got their different kind of um, preferences, of course. But I guess it'll be in, for someone who used to teach a lot, so that's why I say a lot, you who used to teach and now you're non-teaching, that must be a big, that must be, feel like a big shift. Is it big? It, it is. Like a big, yeah. Yeah, it's a big shift. Um, 
like you say, I wouldn't say that the workload is any less. Um, it's just a different type of workload. And and actually, you know, I find, although it's full on all day, every day with no downtime, um, it, it feels more manageable to me. Um, and I think not being... So I think there's kind of a um, education moves really quickly. So there are lots of kind of new initiatives and new teaching and learning things that come in sort of, you know, the the job shifts quite a lot. The goalposts move quite quickly. And and I feel that the issues in pastoral that I deal with day in, day out, those issues kind of remain the same. So I, it feels like steadier ground, if that, if that makes any sense. Um, so I find that it's, it's more manageable not having to keep up with kind of the constant shift in goalposts. Yeah, no, I understand that. Teaching the goalposts and teach, I get what you mean. The teaching goalposts definitely keep changing, getting bigger and smaller yeah. and wider, moving to the other side of the pitch. I understand that. And I guess it is, although I know what you mean about it, it's the same issue. I know every issue has its own nuances, but yeah. um, the way you kind of deal with it and the, the steps that happen afterwards to do, they kind of stay, there is a, there is a pattern to it. And once you get, the more experience you get, the more second nature it becomes when you're, when things come to your attention, definitely. Thank you for that. So I've got people that are in the studio, people that have just joined, welcome. If you have no idea what you've joined because you just clicked on Teachers Talk Radio in your Podbean app, you're listening to the Sunday Lunch Show with me, Khalil Rouse, on Teachers Talk Radio. We are having a pastoral focus today. We're talking to brand new heads of year to just discuss and like collaborate on what the working in pastoral is really, really like. If you're in the studio and you're someone who's potentially thinking about being a head of year or something else and you have any questions for someone who's actually calling in, one second. Let's see. Hello, are you in the studio? Are you there? Nope, maybe not. Okay, well, maybe it was a drop call. Um, if you want to call in anytime, this you can. This is a oh, they're trying to call in again. Let's try this again. Hello. Hello, are you are you I hope they're not trying to prank call me live on the radio. I say radio, live on the podcast. If you're trying to call in deliberately, then please do. I was about to say, this is a live talk show. Imagine LBC. We've got guests, but anyone can call in at any time. If you're a head of year and you just want to join the conversation, please do. If you're an aspiring head of year and you have any questions about the role, just to get a really honest appraisal of what it's like to be a head of year, then just message in the chat. Or you, I would say tweet me, and I can't, I have my Twitter on another screen, and you can tweet at Teachers Talk Radio, which is at TT Radio 2021. You can tweet me directly at, at Khalil underscore R91. Um, if you have any comments or anything, this is a live studio. Please message them in the chat. If you have any questions or responses or anything like that, please message them in the chat or call in. Cool. So the question I asked before, and I'll maybe, I'll maybe ask one of the other guests, was when, if ever, did you know that you were ready? For me, like I said, I think my answer to this question is, and this is the advice I gave my colleague. I said to her, I said, when you become ahead of year, you have less, listen, you have less time to plan your lessons. Unless you're going to work from morning to night, seven days a week, your time in school is going to be spent dealing with issues. And that will take away and retract from opportunities for proper, like thorough planning time. That's all right, is what I said to her. That's all right if you're, comp if you're competent, confident and experienced in the classroom that you don't need to spend as much time planning anymore, then cool. Because there's going to be times where you've been dealing with something from, from morning and then you have to go in and teach and you haven't been able to prep your mind to get into the teaching kind of mind frame. 
and you just have walking across and know what you're doing. If you can do that to an extent with confidence and competence, then maybe you're now ready to take on some more responsibilities of the pastoral kind, because that will pastoral responsibilities can come at you at any point in the day, any point in the day, something could have happened 11 o'clock at night yesterday, involving students in school you've got to pick it up first thing it will disrupt your plans for the day and then maybe you wanted to do a bit more planning for one of your lessons you ain't got the time so one of the things i said to this member of staff i said if you feel like you've got things on point in the classroom in terms of classroom management planning delivery everything else um then it seems to me that now i think you're ready for some additional responsibility but if you don't think you've got your teaching down and you're still gonna be required to teach once you become ahead of year, then maybe take some more time to really nail your classroom practice. But then, that, that was my advice. That's how I knew I was ready when I thought, you know what, I got this teaching thing done, not to a T, but to a point where I can actually do it without the need to plan thoroughly anymore. And that was in my, when I become ahead of year, I came ahead of year in my fifth year of teaching. Yeah, my fifth, yeah, halfway through my fifth year of being a teacher, I think. Who knows? Either way, I've vent, vented and riffed. That's what I wanted. I've riffed enough to therefore give the platform over to. Let's go to. I'm going to throw a curveball. Let's go to Lauren, please. When did you know you were ready for the role? Um, I was. I was really. I got itchy feet, and I demanded. <laughs> this is really bad, but I demanded a meeting with my old head teacher. Um, and I was I was just saying, you know, I, I feel really confident in the classroom now. And I was really lucky that I had a really understanding pastoral leader in my last school. Um, and she didn't mind me kind of treading on her toes. Um, and it was the moment where I was a form tutor doing a home visit that I knew I was just I needed to do something else because I was I was ex well I say excelling but in my opinion you know I felt like my classroom teaching was really good and I was really confident and then um yeah I was looking to other things and I was trying out other things and trying to gain more responsibility and trust within the school but unfortunately mm -hmm. in that school there just wasn't room for movement so I just mm -hmm. had to start looking elsewhere yeah I understand what you meant by itchy feet and I get I massively get you get to a point where if you get comfortable and you think you know what i like what i'm doing but i don't feel like i'm being challenged enough or tested or kept on my toes enough then yeah you do something right what can i do that's gonna what to just i know increase the level of rigor in my day doesn't have to be like kind of academic rigor but just more things to think about a bit more of a challenge because as hu human nature is you get bored when things are too easy or you or you become a bit um too comfortable for some people that's actually fine like for some people, they'd absolutely fine to just go about their daily business, not really being challenged as long as they're getting paid for it, I guess. But I know for me, I'm similar to you, Lauren, that I got to a point when I was like, right, I'm ready now to do something extra. And also, as Jonah was saying, make more of an impact. I can impact people and I can get them to learn about trigonometry and Pythagoras and vectors and some other nonsense in maths. But now, can I make a real tangible impact on the lives of not just the kids I teach, but also 180 kids in a year group? That's my thinking on it. Um, John, as the last but not least in this category, category, this kind of question, do you have anything to add or do you think everything's been covered that when you when you knew you were ready for the role? Yeah, I mean, you've, I think everyone's covered um, everything. Um, however, I would say that um, when I started my application process, um, I just wasn't getting it. And then at that moment, some doubt came into my head and I, and I was asking myself, am I really ready for it? 
Um, and it was at that moment I really had to kind of go to like my mentor um, and, you know, she encouraged me and stuff and so on and so forth and just put everything on paper. Um, but that whole transition period, um, I, I did doubt myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is very honest. This is getting deep. I like it. Um, so when you said you weren't getting it, what do you mean by that? Sorry, can you hear me? I, yeah, sorry, you dipped. You went out. You're back now. Go on. Yeah, so, so the moment when I, you know, was tempted to kind of move forward, I did start to doubt myself, doubt my ability, and then I almost um, didn't apply. Yeah. So, yeah, because you said, because what I heard you say first, you said you weren't getting it. What did you mean by, when you said you are doing the application, you just weren't getting it. What do you mean by that? So applying for like middle leadership is completely different to just like a normal classroom-based teacher. And so there were things that I had to prove in terms of my um you know, my approach to the uh, to wide, wider school issues or the impacts I've done, um, especially in middle leadership, you tend to have a wider responsibilities. So I really had to communicate that well um, to, oh, sorry, amongst the applications and so forth. And for me personally, I don't think I was necessarily getting it. I was still thinking too small um, and so on and so forth. So I had to really evaluate um, why I was doing things, how I was going to do it, and then just go and call on my mentor and stuff to kind of really actualize a lot of the things that I wanted to say. Yeah, do you know what? You've actually, do you know what? I did say when I saw to you guys in the background that I'm going to go off peace. I'm going to go off peace because what you mentioned just now, which I'm, which is be relevant to a lot of people who are maybe thinking about applying for it, is when you're applying for a role, especially in school or any work, essentially, and it's a role that you've, You've actually never, like, you've never been ahead of year before. So it's like, oh, what, what have you done that's going to run, uh, that kind of sets you up or shows that you've got the necessary characteristics or capabilities or qualities to be a good head of year? You have to start racking your brain because you've never, all the stuff that heads of year do, often as a classroom practitioner only, you don't do those things. So I do wonder, I'm going to throw this one out there to the class and anyone else in the chat. What did you kind of use? Uh, what were your in your doing application process or your cover letter or whatever else, um, what was your, what were your hooks that you used to say, do you know what? I am ready for this role and I've demonstrated the qualities in this situation, this situation, this situation, what was in your application? And this is, I'm going to throw this out there to anyone who wants to just come off mute and share because it is intriguing. Cause for me, I can't remember what I talked about it so long ago. So I'm going to stay quiet on this one, but I'm just going to throw it out to one of you three. I've seen someone come off mute. I think that's Lois. Go on Lois. It is. Yeah. Um, for me, it it actually was oddly. Um, I saw the role advertised, and then I saw a lot of my friends had commented and said that I would be really good for that role, which was really gratifying. Um, but until that point, I sort of I felt like I had my teaching down, and I I, I think I looked at the fact that I'd taught in secondary, and then I'd taught in primary, and I'd taught across a range of different subject areas. My specialism is DT and health and social care in secondary. But then I've taught science in primary, I've taught ICT, I've taught um, English, I've taught maths. So I kind of felt like actually when I stepped away and looked at it, I thought, you know, my teaching, the principles of my teaching are there. But actually that that because of the schools I've worked in and the backgrounds of the children I've worked with for a long time, I, I felt like I had been doing the pastoral job and that that was just sort of part of my everyday teaching. That was part of my everyday responsibility as a form tutor, just generally um, part of everybody's safeguard and responsibility. So it, it wasn't 
it wasn't necessarily that I thought I needed to develop anything extra. It was just a case of looking at what I do day to day and identifying where I'd managed those things previously. And then in terms of middle leadership, I've been a governor, a school governor for um, five, nearly six years now. So actually, when I looked at it, I knew that I had that strategic overview as well, because um you know, I've looked at sort of the impact of pastoral care from a strategic governance point of view. So it was easy to see where those parts of the job had been part of my practice for a long time. It was just pulling those strands. Mm, no, I pre- I understand that. You've Not everyone's in um, those kind of positions, I guess, but having that experience, especially being a governor, um, is definitely something you can bring to the role. I guess it's all those things when you start talking about, I remember from what I, when I replied, well, I say I remember, I'm going to, I'm going to think back and I think this is what I, I may have mentioned. I would have mentioned how I just like building um, and I was very good at building very positive relationships with young people, whether that's in my form group or my um, lessons or just around school. But then when it comes to like inverted commas evidence, as you can imagine, you can't, how do you evidence that you can build relationships with kids? Oh, the kids really like me. I, I made it. You can't, you're not gonna make a survey about it. Um, but just being able to build one key part of being ahead of year, as I'm sure everyone knows, is getting to know the kids in your year group and not, and the main thing is also not just the kids who are always on your doorstep for bad reasons or maybe the ones that are more vulnerable. It's also the kids that just kind of do the day to day and just get it right every, inverted commas, get it right every day and don't really cause many issues in lessons. Getting to know them as well and making them feel seen is a really integral part of being ahead of, well, being an effective head of year, in my opinion, because a lot of our time can massively be bogged down dealing with the same group of few students for the same reasons and we don't often consciously think you know what let me just go and deal or talk to some kids who get it right all the time and just the middle of the road maybe they're not your 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 brightest of the bright and then you're kind of doing all the fancy things in lessons just the kids who come to school get it right just go through that go through the motions getting to know them as well so on the application process is you can mention all these things, but then obviously people start thinking, well, evidence, evidence, how can I prove it? Sometimes you can't. And I think I was quite, I think it's easy to say in the interview when they were asking me questions about the role. And then I think the passion for it would come across in the way I was speaking. And I think that's from the feedback I remember receiving. I think that was one thing that they said emanated from the interview process. I think your interviewers can see if you're passionate about whatever you're applying for and that's with every role but especially for a pastoral role if you're not passionate about helping kids and not just getting them to learn stuff but actually helping their development socially emotionally whatever else if you're not passionate about that then stay away from being ahead of you <laughs> stay away from being ahead of you because it's not for you um but any oh sober's in the chat I've realized this is, oh, she'd like the show. That's that's an anticlimax. <laughs> I've realized if you compare this show to my show that was two weeks ago, that this is a far less of an interactive with the chat show. Um, so anyone that's in the chat, as always, if you have any questions or feedback or thoughts and everything else, type into chat at any point. If you want to call in at any time, please do as well. What we're going to do at this moment is we need to hear from our sponsors and the news as well. Um, so we'll run the news and that'll take about five minutes. On the other side of that, We'll probably hear from our sponsors and then we'll get back into the conversation. So if you're a tea drinker, maybe now's the time to get yourself a little cup of tea if you haven't done so already. Maybe you have a bathroom break if you haven't done so already. And we'll see you on the other side of these. This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio News.
In a Teachers Talk Radio News special, we focus on a report in the Guardian newspaper where two Ofsted inspectors voice their fears for vulnerable children being educated in unregulated facilities. According to a report in the Guardian newspaper, some vulnerable children, excluded from mainstream schooling, are being educated in unregulated and illegal schools, some based in caravans on farmland and on industrial estates and business parks. Ofsted inspectors have reported to The Guardian in an attempt to lift the lid on a murky world. Victor Shafi'i and Sue Will, who focus on unregistered and illegal schools, brought to the inspectorate's attention through referrals from a worried parent or local authority, say alternative provision for children who cannot be accommodated in mainstream education is complex and growing. For most children who are struggling in mainstream schools, there are high-quality state-funded pupil referral units and good independent alternative provision, which is registered and monitored by Ofsted, and these can offer a good short-term fix. But because of a shortage of places in this provision, there is also a growing unregistered sector, which is what concerns Ofsted. If an AP offers part-time provision, it is not required to register and so will not be inspected by Ofsted. It only becomes illegal if it is not registered and is offering full-time or almost full-time education. The report considers that the landscape becomes even murkier when children who have been excluded are referred to oversubscribed pupil referral units. They may then be subcontracted to an unregistered setting. And it can mean that troubled and challenging children, some of whom the report states are as young as five, are being sent to schools in unsuitable accommodation with unqualified staff and may be receiving little in the way of education. Shafi, Ofsted's Deputy Director of Unregistered and Independent Schools, states, The big question for me is, what's happened out there? Have children suddenly become worse behaved? What is it that's fundamentally changed that means more children are going to APs and primary kids are increasingly going to APs? Because this area is so obscure, we just don't know. Sue Will is one of a small team of Ofsted inspectors who since 2016 have been going out to unregistered and illegal settings across the country. I've been to settings in caravans on farmland, we've been to grubby halls, another favourite is on industrial estates, she said. We've started to identify more primary children at these settings in the last 18 months, but that's not to say they weren't there before. We're really working in the dark here. There's no regulation, there's no requirement for paperwork, it really is the unknown. In a follow-up opinion piece by Amanda Spielman, those most likely to be harmed are being sent to places with the least oversight, It's vital all alternative provision is registered, she says. Every child, regardless of their background, deserves a good education and the chance to reach their full potential. But some children, often the most vulnerable, just don't get that chance. She goes on to state that whilst the government does not collect specific data, it seems a likely estimate, based on the Department for Education's own statistics for England, that the number of children in alternative provision has risen by 14% over the last four years to more than 45,000. And with the detrimental impact that Covid and lockdown have had on many young people, she feels that we may well see a further rise this year. In light of the increase in the data, Amanda Spielman states that she's commissioned new research to better understand the role that alternative provision plays in the education system, and to find out why primary age pupils, some as young as five, are being referred to alternative provision in the first place. She acknowledges that the scale and diversity in the sector means oversight arrangements can be complicated and that the quality of education can vary greatly.
The article goes on to point out that the law says that if an AP provider operates full-time, it must be registered with the Department for Education and be inspected by Ofsted. Otherwise, it is an illegal school. But acknowledges that unregistered provision gets no comparable, consistent scrutiny. And for the past 10 years, the Ofsted has been calling for mandatory registration of all alternative provision, no matter how many hours they are open or how many children attend. She believes that without this, there is little assurance that their pupils are getting a good full-time education. Finally, the article goes on to acknowledge that no child deserves to be left to languish and fail, that schools need consistently good alternative provision that helps re-engage these children in education. Spielman concludes with the comment that children deserve no less. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News. That that is a. I don't think the the newsreader even did they did they breathe. I don't know if they breathed throughout that. That is that was a a monologue upon monologue. Very very thorough. Full credit to our newsreader there. Um, that was a very thorough thorough piece from the news. And if you didn't, if you thought I wasn't gonna drop my transition music at some point today, you were mistaken. Had to drop at least once. Let's hear from our sponsors. Let's pay those bills. And then on the other side, we'll get back into this advert. Don't worry, guys, is much shorter than the news. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Right, let's get back in. If you've just joined the live studio, thank you. But where have you been? The time is now 1.42. You're listening to the Sunday Lunch Show with me, Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. This is a kind of head of year special. Um, I'm joined by three lovely brand new heads of year. We've got Lois, Lauren and Janoy in the room. And we're just talking about the role. And the question, the next question we're going to move, we're going to move straight on to the next question. And this is one that I'm just interested to hear. And the question is, how have your experiences been compared to what you thought it would be like? Because you never know, like you always see heads of year um, when you're, when you work in a school, you always see the heads of year, they're always walking. I remember I used to just rack up the steps and I still do at the moment. But when I was a head of year, I would spend most of my day walking around, walking around, walking around, picking it up, picking that up, picking this up, not talking about physical things, figuratively picking issues up, also picking up some litter and whatever else, um, but figuratively picking things up, picking up issues, putting out fires, whatever else. Um, there is also the, the point of obviously assemblies and that kind of stuff and leading the year group on a strategic level. Um, so my question to you guys is, how have your experiences been this last half term compared to what you thought it would be like? And Oh, this is where I lose track. We've had so much time in between. I've forgotten who I heard from last and who else who I haven't heard from in a while. Let's just go for Lois, please. No, sorry, sorry, sorry. I didn't mean Lois. 
I met Lauren. I've got two people with L's and I'm looking at the name and I'm like, name is Lauren. Lauren, sorry, Lois, I will come to you, but I feel like I haven't heard from Lauren in a while. Lauren, how have your experiences been compared to what you thought it'd be like? Um, so they've been interesting. It's been an absolute <laughs> emotional roller coaster, um, oh, to say the least. I, I don't really know what I expected um, because I didn't have really any pastoral experience when I went into this role. I don't really know what I expected, but I've gone from working in a school where we had non-teaching heads of year, sort of pastoral leaders, um, to my school where I'm the head of year by all leader. So she mm. deals with kind of safeguarding um, and the lots of behavior issues but also I do as well but not as hands-on as she is and then I'm in charge of the rest um but yeah I think the emotional um aspect of being ahead of year is not something I considered at all um I didn't think that I would be so affected by it Mm. and I do take work home a lot which is probably something that I could could not do um but yeah i think that's that's the biggest thing for me is is how exhausting it is just emotionally really is this yeah i'm assuming is this because um i don't know maybe students issues home life and mental health all that kind of stuff comes to your doorstep and you're the person that's now dealing with it as a first responder you're talking about that kind of stuff yeah absolutely um i i didn't realize that sort of the how huge I think you you're protected from it really aren't you when you when you're just a, a teacher I know that sounds awful just a teacher but you are kind of protected from the the mass that is safeguarding um and when you become ahead of year and, and you do learn about people's lives and you do learn what's really going on I think it, it massively helps with your teaching as well because you understand a lot yeah. of it you understand why things are happening in the classroom. Um, but yeah, taking that on is, is huge, isn't it? No, massively. Cause I've, yeah. So I've now, I don't, no one asked, so I'm going to answer that. I'm going to just say it anyway. So I used to be ahead of you. I'm now only the kind of safeguarding lead in my school. So I used to do both. Um, so I can fully understand and kind of um, empathize and understand with the, the things that just come to your door and the home life and the effect it has and what you said about being able to understand your kids better and therefore does may, I think it does make you a better um, a better teacher and a better manager of young people when you realize that the behaviors that a classroom teacher might see exhibited in their lessons alone for an hour and then you understand what's really going on behind the scenes you see how it play how the kid or the young person is um, just show, yeah, showing that in their behaviour, you really do become a lot more understanding. And, there, and I'm glad you mentioned non-teaching heads of year because we had a question from Miss Kato Stem a little while ago. I bet Miss Kato Stem was listening, wondering whether I'd forgotten about your question. I have not forgotten about your question. And the question was, how do people feel about non-teaching heads of year? As in, do we think that um, it's a good thing? Do we think it's necessary? Do you think I worked in a school where in Manchester where we had two leaders for the year group one was purely um pastoral so they didn't teach at all and then you had me i was the other leader of the year group and i was like what what they called the progress leader but i still had the same kind of pastoral influences but i taught and i thought that was a really really nice balance um 
So it'll be interesting to see what you guys think. I know we've got one person in the room, actually. I think Lois is a non-teaching head of year. So maybe I'm going to leave you to the end, Lois. But I do wonder from maybe Johnoy and, and Lauren what you guys think about um, non-teaching heads of year. Is it a necessity? Should you have someone involved in, in kind of the pastoral that doesn't teach? Um, or is it possible to be a head of year, an effective head of year, but also teach at the same time? I'll throw that out there to the whole group, but especially John. Oh, I've seen someone come off mute. Lauren, you've come off mute. Go on. Sorry. Yeah, um, I, I'm very much similar to what to what you had before. So there are two of us that kind of lead the year. Um, maybe me being the teaching, um, and my teaching timetable is quite heavy as well. Um, but how I'd... heavy? Sorry. How? Let me just interrupt. How heavy? How many lessons do you teach a day, roughly, on average? I, it depends sometimes I'm five a day out of six sometimes I am three sometimes so, four <laughs> wow. so I, I think I've got a 24 out of 30 at sort of our teaching commitment what what you're that what okay pause there pause 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 that sounds listen I'm not I don't, we're not going to mention your school no one knows what school you go to but if you're listening whoever is at Lauren's school and you're listening Please make some changes because I don't know how ahead of year, I don't know how ahead of year can teach um, that many lessons. Oh, no, sorry. Sorry, I've got that or, wrong. It's, it's oh. <laughs> 20, no, it is. It was 24 before this September. It's 22 now. I'm lying to you. It is right. 22 now. But we also, like I said, we have a pastoral leader as well. So mm, there mm. are two of us. It's not just all on me. Yeah, no, I get that. That's the thing. I guess if you if you have got the like the double team, so to speak, where you do teach more, and then you've got someone who is on the ground, then I think then then it makes more sense. But I've heard of schools where there is only one head of year, and it's a teaching head of year, and they still have a fairly heavy teaching time of something I don't know, average of three or four lessons a day out of potentially six, which is a lot if you're the only person. Um, I was, yeah, the per well, if you're the only head of year. And they had a question in the chat, by the way, from Little Oh, TSCW, you put your hand up. You need to let us know what that means because I can't read and understand emoji. Um, so Little Lion's asked, <laughs> Little Lion. So I'm laughing about Little Lion is because my son watches a program called Achille and Me. And in Achille and Me, it's got someone called Little Lion. So I find it very funny that someone's called Little Lion. Anyways, um, Little Lion has asked, what do you teach, by the way, Miss Teacher? Um, I'm assuming they're talking to to you, um, Lauren. They're asking, "What do you teach?" By the way, um, English. Sorry, English. I thought that. <laughs> no, no, no. It, my um, my little handle made that clear, but yeah, it, that's English. So little lion. So that's a. Uh, um, they teach. Oh, that's your school. Oh, I see. So you're saying TSCW. You're saying in your school, you've got one head of year, and have you got no pastoral staff at all? Um, TSCW, have you got no pastoral stuff at all in terms of non-teaching that just deal with the stuff on the ground? Share, share stuff. Don't know what that means. <laughs> I feel like you might need to call in. I don't know what this means. We can communicate via the chat. Um, but I know you've got one head of year who teaches and then um, I imagine you've got obviously senior leaders or whatever else share the pastoral responsibility. But I've always been a proponent of schools having pastoral support that do not teach. I've been a massive proponent of that. Um, ah, right, gotcha. So you have three pastoral leads between the seven-year groups. We pick up the things on the ground. I think that's crucial, personally. I think you need it. Okay, so going back to the questions, because we've only gone a little bit well. 
just over half an hour. So the question again that I was asking was, how have your experiences been compared to what you thought it'd be like? And it'd be interesting to hear from Johnny actually, because I know Johnny earlier you were talking about how at first you were you kind of nearly talked yourself out of it because you didn't think you were ready or whatever else, and you had to get advice and and have that kind of self belief instilled to know that no, do you know what? I am going to do this. I'm going to be effective. So how have your experiences been, John, in comparison to maybe what you thought it would be like? Um, yeah, so I, um, this kind of connected to the last question as well, but I am the only head of year and I also teach and my timetable is quite packed. So I was very much expect- How packed? How packed is packed? Um, so out of five, five periods, um, at least three to four I'm teaching, three to four hours Mad. I'm teaching. Um, and so one of the things that was very apparent from the beginning, I think in the first week I, I found, I experienced that imbalance between my teaching and the head of year role. And so I immediately had to kind of nip it in the bud and then do some drastic changes for myself personally. Um, the good thing is that I did build that rapport with my classes so you know if i'm running from meetings late or so on and so forth mm, mm. Uh, they'll be patient with myself and they've been very supportive of me um but one thing i, I would say is that it, it has been i don't believe there's any job that could actually have prepared you for this <laughs> <laughs> i say that to say this in the sense that um the the variables are always changing and as a person i like to i am i would say i'm quite organized but i had to go to another level yeah, of yeah, yeah. um purely based on the fact that um i just had to account for anything that would try and that would need my immediate attention um and so for me personally uh i just found it quite difficult i found it very difficult um, but that could just be because I'm quite harsh on myself anyways. However, my SLT link um, and also my mentor, we, we have our offices next to each other. She's been a great help. Um, they've definitely been congratulating me um, as well as the head teacher saying I've done a really good job. But I think for me personally, I almost saw the imbalance between my teaching and, and the head of year role. And I just couldn't afford that to, to happen. I couldn't afford that to happen. Um, so I was really preparing for the worst. Um, nonetheless, it's actually been okay. It's been okay mm. so far. Yeah, when, when you say imbalance, did you mean that you thought, did you think your teaching was suffering as a result of yeah, I mean, responsibilities, um, yeah. my my S the my SLT link, um, my mentor, um, even books that I read, <laughs> they said prepare yourself um, for that um, imbalance to take place. Mm. And so I I had contingency plans in place if in case that did take place ultimately. Um, but nonetheless, it hasn't been so bad, so drastic. I would say. Um, however, it again, I don't think anything could have prepared me for it like yeah. like being on on the job no i understood and I, I think it comes back to what i was saying right at the beginning when it was around when do you know that you're ready and my biggest advice to anyone that's listening back oh, by the way if you ever want to listen back to a teacher talk radio show if you just joined and you think do you know what oh i like this teacher talk radio stuff how can i get in touch or how can i listen to more then what you need to do is you can either go onto our twitter which is at tt radio 2021 or Better yet, you can head to the website, which is www.ttradio.org. Um, and then 
what you can do in that situation is you can you can listen back to all our previous shows you can learn more about what we do why we're here and the kind of the schedule and everything else um it's a one-stop shop for all the all the shows and if you want to listen back you can also go to spotify or other podcast platforms as well um if you ever want to listen back to this show or loads of shows, there are so many shows about so many different things across the education sphere. But today we are talking pastoral. But yeah, as John always said, it, you're the head of year role. I, I agree. Nothing does prepare you for it. It's definitely one you have to learn. You learn by doing, as with most things, but definitely in head of year because you're just going to come across things you never have had to deal with before, whether it's issues in someone's life or whatever else, or maybe a fallout or something happened on social media that that's like a big thing in school and it's come and it's your year group. So now you're going to be one of the front runners and dealing with it. And that's going to mean that you ain't, you haven't got the time um, to plan as you would have done, or you're going to rock up late to lessons because you've just had a meeting. Like Jono said, that happens to me on a daily basis. My class doesn't expect me to be there on time. Um, and I just walk, I take it nice and easy. I said, sorry guys, been to the meeting in you go kind of thing. And they, they are used to it and they, they're kind of trained in what to do in that situation. Um, it's not very late. It's just a couple of minutes, but it does. You've got to be, you've got to have your classroom practice down and be confident in the classroom. Um, if you want to be, then be ahead of year. Definitely. If you're going to continue to teach, that is because it does definitely take an impact on your, your teaching and your time for planning. So if you can do the job competently and well and effectively without needing to plan as thoroughly, then yes. And you want to be ahead of year, then yes, get to it. Right. Let's go positive. Unless I know I haven't spoken to Lois about this question. Um, Lois, do you have anything to add on the kind of experiences comparison? Yeah. I mean, I, I am a non-teaching head of year, so I, I, it may sound strange, but I really do view my job as a luxury. Um, I think, you know, the fact that I think it's important that I've been a teacher, that I understand the pressures of the classroom, that I understand the impact that behaviour can have, for example, um, on the job that a teacher has to do. And um, I understand classroom management and, you know, the difficulties of that and how, you know, how all-encompassing that can be as a job. So I think it's important that I've had that background because, you know, that enables me to be able to understand the position that teachers are in. But, but I really do view my job as a luxury now because I get to do what I never had the time to properly do as a classroom teacher in terms of that pastoral support for children. So, I mean, we're, I'm, I'm really lucky in my school. I'm not, we don't just have non-teaching heads of year, but we also have a full suite um, of pastoral staff who, you know, are kind of on the ground. We have three DSLs in school. We have um, a school-based social worker. We have wow. um, various systems. We have two school counsellors and a third sort of maybe joining us relatively quickly. Um, we have a full suite of kind of student support staff as well and, and learning support advisors. So I'm really lucky in that although the issues in our school are quite significant, we have a lot of staff to deal with that. And I think mm. we're in a really unique position in having that luxury of, of time and people on the ground. That's how you can see the comments in the chat. You can see the comments in the chat where people that have worked in, in pastoral and have know what it's like to not have such thorough or network of pastoral support. Just hearing that, even I, my eyes, I was like glazed over thinking, oh, the utopia of having so many pastoral um just support works on the ground to just I get from what you're saying that it sounds like your school has a lot of issues behavior wise or pastoral that 
requires therefore such a big team but just having that support network for staff and knowing that there's a lot of people dealing with stuff means that the burden isn't just on your shoulders ahead of you and I think that's massive I've not I've had that in my previous school uh, my current school we don't have that and you can some you do feel the strain as ahead of year when things just keep coming to you they keep coming to you keep coming to you and you have no one else who not no one else you have a limited number of people who can who are experienced in pastoral and i think there's a lot there's a there is a knack to being effective in pastoral and it and there is when you don't deal with behavior issues that often and maybe your your main time is spent teaching then you see the difference in approach and I, there's a mass, you see a difference in approach between people who do with pastoral stuff often and people that don't. And when they deal with the same incidents, I don't know how much you guys have noticed it, the difference in approach is stark sometimes. Um, and definitely one, have you, I see you've come off mute there, Lois, you've got something to add on that. Yeah, just to say, I genuinely don't know how people do the job with a full teaching timetable like Crazy, that. Crazy, right? Amazing. I just don't get it. Like, I, I, you couldn't do it. No, not couldn't do it. It's just very difficult. Um, we just seen the comments in the chat. So we had Miss KSM said, that's really good. Karen said, wow. TSCW said, you sound really well resourced. And then said, I'm not jealous, honestly. Um, then Miss Kato Stem said, it's so important for the pastoral team to have time dedicated to pastoral work. Teaching and dealing with pastoral issues is so hard. It is. And I don't know if you guys have found this. In my previous school, this is where I'm going to get a bit controversial there was a bit of tension between teaching and non-teaching stuff. And by tension, I mean, there was a bit of, I don't know if it's, what word did I call it? When the teaching staff used to talk about the non-teaching staff, the pastoral staff as being, oh, all they do is give them hot chocolate and, uh, and a nice chat and give them some biscuits and put their arm around them and that kind of stuff. And the pastoral staff are looking at teachers being like, why have you guys not got a heart? Um, when you're dealing with behavior issues and there was just there I don't know if you guys in the chat or listening have ever experienced that tension is a word I call it um, or acrimony or I don't know what word to use but there's I've definitely been in a school where I used to be and I used to be ahead of year in this school so I saw both worlds I used to work with the pastoral staff and work with the teachers and I used to hear the pastoral staff say things about teachers and teachers say things about pastoral staff and I used to be in the middle like oh this is pretty awkward I need to stand up for both of you and some of the stuff you're saying isn't right and the one the best thing my school did I see there's a lot of comments in the chat about this but best thing my school did is they offered the chance for some teachers to spend the day in pastoral and just to realize what they go through and to just put the shoe on the other well, yeah, experience their their day to day to then come back and check themselves essentially. Because all they saw was, oh, all I see them do is sit around with hot chocolates and have a nice chat with some kid that causes issues in my lesson. Why have you they used to be like, they've just messed about. Why are you giving them hot chocolate? Used to be the kind of things I'll be hearing. Um, so if you've experienced stuff like that, please type in the chat. Those of you that are my guests in the studio, have you experienced anything like that in a previous school? Um, where you feel there's that tension between pastoral and teachers, um, let me know. So there's, it's a great question I've just seen, Karen. I was actually want to talk about this because Karen's asked, do you think there's enough CPT off of, CPD off of pastoral? And Miss KSM says no. Um, and I'm going to say no. And I'm going to add the hell in front and say hell no. Because in the same way, there is best practice for teaching there is best practice for pastoral and dealing with pastoral issues. There is best practice that can be taught and learned. 
100%. I, do, I believe this. The same way we have CPD for teachers to teach them how better to, to deliver lessons, to plan, to resource, to scaffold, to differentiate, to whatever, to whatever, to whatever. You can do the same thing with pastoral and not enough time in the schools I've worked in has been spent by teaching teachers how to deal with behavioral issues better. And when I say better, I just mean in a more non-confrontational way that's just going to inflame the issue, for example, or um, tone of voice, distance, proximity. Um, sometimes the way you deal with a behavioral issue, if a kid's doing something that they shouldn't be doing, you can either just come down hard on them and say, stop doing that. Or you can say, either you continue doing it and this will happen, or you do this and this will happen. And then you give the, the child some autonomy. But those things get have you learn them by doing and i don't think in the school i've worked in that enough time has been put in teaching teachers how to deal with behavior and all it does in the in the long run is cause more issues for heads of you is my thinking on it you can tell i'm passionate about this and i see lauren come off um lauren's come off mute so lauren please contribute and add so just going back to the relationships between teaching staff and pastoral um totally get where you're coming from there sometimes there can be a an us and them divide um not not in my current school but I totally know what you mean uh, I think that's the key that there was a new change in the safeguarding framework in which um you know we were told to be more open and honest with teachers and I think that is so so important because there was an element a couple of years ago of kind of hush hush you can't know you know if you're a teaching member of staff and you're not level three safeguard trained you can't know what's going on you're not allowed but now that there's more of a push in the the honesty and the openness and let's discuss actually the issues here I think that's the key to mending those relationships and and if we've all got the child at the centre, then we can all work together to make sure that we are making things possible for that child rather than, you know, closing those doors and having those barriers because we're not communicating. Mm, no, definitely. So when I, I've 100% agree. In my role as safeguarding at the moment, um, I'm very conscious of making sure that I give enough information to key members of staff about key students and what they're going through without giving off too much information for confidentiality reasons, but enough to be like, you know what, rough time at home, they're having a bit, like something along those lines, just so they're aware. Because the moment you know that a child is going through something, you deal with them differently. And we don't want to set our kids up to fail. We also want to set up staff up to fail. And they're treating misbehavior as just misbehavior, when really misbehavior is a product often of something else that's going on contextually, often. And we have a role as heads of year, as safeguarding needs, whatever else, to make sure we work as a team and talk to our teachers that teach these kids who are going through a hard time and just say, you know what? I'm not saying lower your standards. I'm not saying lower your expectations or whatever else, but I'm saying you need to be aware that this just is a misbehavior for misbehavior's sake. And you need to therefore respond in a more tactful way and whatever else. I wouldn't tell them how to respond, but I think once you tell a teacher that there's more going on, they go, oh, right. Yeah, I didn't know. Of course you didn't know. I didn't tell you, but you, they do respond differently. And I've just seen in the chat, TSCW, I want to get onto this. You know what? I want to get onto this. You said tension between pastoral and curriculum. Let me, don't, uh, I, when a kid misbehaves, in a, I don't know, let's go for science. When a kid misbehaves in a science lesson, and maybe it's a teacher that's not the head of science, a science teacher um, with no, maybe no TLR, 
as far as I'm concerned, as a head of year, that is not my issue, first and foremost. If a kid has misbehaved in your science lesson, that is an issue for your head of science, first and foremost. I don't know who agrees or disagrees. I'm trying to just stoke some fires here. But as far as I'm concerned, don't come to my door with a kid who misbehaved in your lesson and asking me to sort it out. No, that's not how it should work. If a kid misbehaves in a maths lesson, that is a maths issue. If you have a kid who is misbehaving across the board, then yes, okay, I would have realised it. That can come under my remit as a head of year. I don't know. I've got. I know Lois, you're off mute at the moment. Are you wanting to add something in this? Yeah, yeah. I just um on that issue of kind of I I look at my role and my role obviously is is centred around the child. But I also I suppose because I've been a teacher. Uh, I make it a priority to to speak to the staff that have reported issues to me. So I, I make a point of always replying to emails. I make a point of going to see members of staff if there's been a real, you know, significant issue in a lesson with a child. I make a point of going to see the teacher and saying to them, you know, I know this has happened. It may appear that this is kind of just rumbling on, but I am putting things in place behind the scenes. Um, I think it's really important to keep staff informed of what you are doing in any particular situation so that you know I know they don't need to know the ins and outs of everything and obviously there are confidentiality issues etc but I think it's really important to keep staff informed about the fact that you are dealing with issues because sometimes it can appear that nothing's being done but that's you know that's not all yeah definitely John I've just seen you come off mute as well yeah I mean I had to learn this I really had to learn this Um, (laughs) and my um my mentor so she I basically was part of her pastoral team she's now in year nine ahead of year nine and she literally said that to me in the first week like you cannot do everything and I think she warned me in the sense that you'll find that some teachers try to push work onto unnecessary work onto yourself um especially when it comes to behavior management um and so i had to really you know be very steadfast in the sense that this is your remit um can i you know suggest um this is what you should do but i'm not going to take on something that you should be able to handle because that's part of the teaching standards and mm-hmm. if you're a teacher you'd have had to demonstrate that so you now need to demonstrate it so 100%. yeah <laughs> no, because listen, you're going to get people going to get me irate in this room right now because I'm just reliving all the things. Because here's, here's an exa- a classic example. I don't know what I used to have in a previous school. I don't know, a kid that's not doing the homework of a teacher for whatever reason. They haven't done their history homework for the last, I don't know, two weeks, three weeks. And they're coming to me saying, do you know, little, 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 I don't know what word I'm going to, what name I'm going to call it. I don't know. Little Ahmed hasn't done my history homework for three weeks. Um, I say, okay, have you, have you called home? Have you, have you spoken to a form tutor? Have you, well, mainly it's a called home bit because amount of times things come to you. And I'm like, you know, all that I would do in a head of year role right now is speak to their parents. There is no difference. You could do the exact same thing and you can do it from a position of more knowledge because it's your homework. Take ownership over your classroom and your homework and hold the kids accountable to you first and foremost. Don't come to me as head of year just because the kids tend to listen to me more because I'm in a position of responsibility. Don't do that. You need to take ownership first. If you've done the due, if you've done your due diligence and you've told your head of you've told your head of department they've tried, you've spoken to parents, you've had a meeting. Have you had a meeting with your parents? Have you brought them in? Like, have you done this stuff? Because that's all I'm gonna do. So, Pete, you need half of the role as a head of year is batting things back and saying, 
like you just said, Johnny, and you can frame it as advice, which is nice. You can frame it as advice, say, oh, I advise you do X, Y, Z in this situation. Off you go. Let me know how it goes. As opposed to, yeah, cool. I'm going to sort out your homework issue. No, no, I'm not. No, I am. No, I'm not. I'm going to get irate in this room. I'm not even ahead of year anymore. And I'm getting passionate. I've just seen Miss Kato Stem put a message earlier on. And Miss Kato Stem says, I was a non-teaching head of year. And there was a bit of tension between curriculum and pastoral. Teachers assumed that pastoral staff had loads of time to pick up on every single issue and pastoral staff forgot or didn't understand how difficult it is to be. It's true. How difficult it is to be on a full timetable teacher and the workload involved. Hence why a lot of small issues get passed over to pastoral. It is true. It is true. I get it. When you, if something occurred period two, that was quite major. um, And you're teaching period three, four, five, you're not a teacher is not going to be able to deal with that effectively, hence why it gets passed on. I understand. But don't skip out your head of department. It's all I'm saying. Heads of department are middle leaders and heads of department have responsibility and ownership and autonomy over their department. And as a head of year, we work with them and we start to notice patterns. If If more than one head of department are getting in touch saying, this person's an issue in this and this, then you're thinking, hmm, right, do you know what? Maybe we need to look at this in a more holistic behavioral sense as opposed to just narrowing down to just a subject focus let me breathe because i've just i've 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 got i got passionate just now and uh let's move on (laughs) so let's get positive because we need to counteract my my kind of um impassioned speech about pastoral my question is what is the best thing about so far you've had a half term of it you guys What's been, what is the best thing about your job? What is the best thing about your role? What do you love? What is it that gets you out of the the bed in the morning at 5, 5.30, 6am in the morning, gets you into work, still with a spring in your step and looking forward to it? I'm going to throw it out to the room. Um, What's the best thing about your role? First person I see comes off mute, goes first. John Oy, very quick, very (laughs) quick on the, very quick on the buzzer. (laughs) Um, I would say the best part of my role is helping to set the day or the tone for each each individuals in my year group. So I always make it a priority to meet them very early in the morning before lineup, the smile on my face and ask them how they are. And if there's anybody that's got that looks upset or anything like that, if I can offer any words of advice, just encourage them as they get throughout the, as they go throughout their day, their morning. Mm, so that's nice. what I'm saying. Nice. And then thank you for that. Lois and or Lauren, first one. There we go. Oh, that was a close one. <laughs> that was a close one. But Lois just pipped at the poke. Lo- Lois, go ahead. It, it's, it is working with the children and getting to know them. And, um, you know, and, and like John said earlier in the, um, in the conversation, it's, it's the ability to have impact on something wider than just a lesson. Um, it's, it's the ability to do something that can really make a difference to that child's life. That's what I really enjoy about the job, getting to know them. And, and Excellent. And then Lauren? Um, I was just going to say very similar, but I'm, I'm really lucky. I've got a brilliant year group and lots of my kids are just fabulously funny. They come in and, they co- and they've done something really random or, you know, they, it's just the humour that comes with it. I think you have to be a certain type of person to work in pastoral and, and the humour and the laughs that come with the job. I've just loved every minute. No, 100%. You do. It is a certain type of person. You definitely need a certain type of characteristical personality. What that personality is, I can't actually describe, but it, it's not for everyone. It's definitely not for everyone. I've worked with a number of teachers who I know 
would absolutely hate working in pastoral. And there's nothing wrong with that. I've, there are some teachers like myself, I'd absolutely hate dealing with curriculum day in, day out. I couldn't do it. It would bore me to death. Um, so the next thing, next question is, we've got about 15 minutes to go. On the flip side, let's be a bit more negative. This is your chance to moan. Um, and of course, don't we don't we don't know what school anyone goes to. Everything's anonymous. It's all good. Um, but what would you say is either the worst or the most challenging, whichever way you want to frame it, what's the most challenging or worst thing about being ahead of year, would you say? And again, we'll do first to the post because everyone's speaking. I'm just going to wait for someone to come off mute. There we go. Lauren in the middle. Lauren won that one. Sorry, Lois. It's a close second though. <laughs> I would absolutely say the lack, lack of funding, the lack of, of support for, for our kids. It's just, it's heartbreaking. Sometimes you want to refer the kids, you want to help them. Um, students going through a difficult time, maybe need bereavement support. Where, where is it? There's nothing there. And uh, that's a frustrating thing that I find. I, I'm kind of here trying to fight for these kids. And where do I where do I take them? Where do I go with it? Because or we've got support, but it's only for this postcode, this postcode and this postcode. And unfortunately, your school's just out of that remit. So you can't have that funding. And yeah. I just I find it really, really difficult. Yeah, no, it is heartbreaking, isn't it? I guess I've just seen Miss Kato Stem and, and TSCW. TSCW actually mentioned about team around team well he's put tafs and sins and to translate that's team around the family and child in need conferences so this not not all heads of year involved in this um but i was well i was also safeguarding these that's what i was involved these are the kind of meetings where um you as a head of year are often the representative for that child at school in these meetings and you meet with social workers you could meet with cams which are the mental health service you could be meeting with police could be meeting with um whatever external services that also take that is part of the head of year role often sometimes head of years aren't involved in the team around the families and those kind of meetings sometimes they are but that is also something that people don't see and i agree and then in line with what you were saying um lauren miss cater stems talked about mental health waiting lists and it is it's like as a school i've always said there's only so much we can do and i think when things come to our attention especially around mental health i don't know you've got i don't know self-harm you've got um, suicidal thoughts, you've got um, anxieties and so on. Kids come to you, parents come to us saying, my child's got X, Y, Z. First and foremost, I always give the recommendation of if it's a mental health concern, whether it's as serious as suicidal thoughts, self-harm, etc., you need to go to the GP. They're the medical professionals. We as a school, of course, we're here to support and do everything we can in school. But first and foremost, as a parent and a carer, your first responsibility, thank you for telling us, but my first piece of advice is take them to the GP and get advice from a medical professional because mental health is just as serious as physical health and if they'd broken their leg or injured themselves you would go to the doctor so do the same thing with mental health and but if parents don't hear that they wouldn't think it a lot of parents don't think it because they haven't they've been through schooling or experiences where maybe mental health the its profile wasn't as high as it is now so parents don't see it sometimes as as serious of a health issue as physical. Therefore, they just think, let me just tell the school and the school will deal with it. No, talk to the doctor. The doctor can make referrals necessarily. But unfortunately, as you well know, CAMS is inundated. CAMS is underfunded. CAMS is a, the Children Adolescent Mental Health Service. It's underfunded. So many waiting lists. And unless it's a severe mental health need, you're unlikely to be able to skip the waiting list. So then you end up with this kind of middle ground of kids who are mid-level mental health concerns that you do your best with in school, but when you may not have trained 
professionals, mental health professionals, counsellors. Um, so then you don't think it's adequate and you're like, well, we want you to go to CAMS, but CAMS have sent, have slapped it back to the school and said, sorry, you don't meet the threshold. And it can be, can be quite heartbreaking. I've seen Lois, you've come off mute. Go on, Lois. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say exactly the same thing, but then I, I get really frustrated when I can see that that kind of that pattern of need has been escalating. Sort of, so now, for example, you know, um, I can look on CPOMs and I can see that, you know, where these issues have, have come to light, where we first sort of some concerns been raised about the child and just that kind of length of time, you know, for a, a service to become involved and to deal with them. And you can see the waypoints at which, you know, issues of behaviour have escalated and seriousness of the incidents has escalated. And it's just really frustrating when you you know that if, you know, a service had been engaged earlier in the process that we wouldn't now be at this position with the child. So mm. I find that really frustrating, that lack of funding, that lack of provision. And then, you know, kind of looking ahead because I'll move up with my year group. So, I, you know, I'm already sort of thinking, I can see how this is going to go. And it's that inevitability of the of the inability to engage a service and what that will mean for those children is really, really... No, definitely. And I think couple it there's a, i had a good situation where there was a there was a there were two students i was dealing with who were the most obvious case of child in need i'd ever known um to that point and for whatever reason i think due to parental engagement or lack thereof social services weren't getting involved and i just i in my role as both head of year at the time and also i was dsl at the time i just didn't back down um it wasn't through arguments or anything like that but when we talk about re-referrals evidence getting back in touch, phone calls being like, there, we need intervention here. And it gets that point. So you don't want it, because if it hadn't been escalated to the kind of child in these status, I don't know what would have come of those two children that got older and older and older. They're still struggling now, but at least they've got the network of support. And it is heartbreaking when you you know that it needs to happen. And for whatever reason, thresholds aren't being met or whatever else, but don't do your best professionally to not back down. If you believe it, if you believe it, then you can continue to, there's no limit on referrals. There's no limit on phone calls. There's no limit on that kind of stuff. So by all means, push, 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 because as schools, we have a, we have a voice. We have a very, very powerful voice in the lives of young people. And we need to do everything we can. We need to do everything we can. Right. We have got eight minutes to go. What a show this has been. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, wanna, we've got a couple more. Yeah, we've got a couple more questions I want to ask. Uh, let's go for the best advice Apart from this show, <laughs> um, apart from this show, what's the best advice you've been given in your role? What stands out in your mind? I know Jono, you mentioned the thing that your mentor said to you um, about batting, potential, or essentially batting it back to um, departments and encouraging teachers to take autonomy and whatever else. But for the other two of you, or Jono again, what would you say is the best advice you've been given in your role to date? Um, and how has it affected your practice and so on and so forth? I'll open it because a lot of we've all spoken a fair equal amount, I think. So I will have it open to the group. Oh, I'm going to have to riff for a bit. No one's come off mute. Oh, thank you. I was about to cold call. We're getting to that point. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Lauren. But what's, what's the best advice you've been given? Quite early on in my role, I struggled quite a lot with time management and I tried to take uh, a lot on. I, I tried to take everything on. Um, and the best piece of advice I was given is is to manage my time, but do it in a way that I can see it. So I can't remember what the boxes were 
are called. Um, but my one of my SLT links, he showed me how to to put things visually in in four boxes and things that need my priority, need action now, need action sort of this week, things that can be passed down. Um, so yeah, it is kind of just batting back, but it, it's making sure that you've constantly got that. And even because like you said, things crop up all the time. And I also never, ever plan to do any marking in mm. my free periods. I never plan to do anything of my English role in my free periods because I know for a fact it's going to be taken by pastoral. Yeah, no, it is definitely. Thank you for that. Um, oh, <laughs> I didn't know. Is that Siri in the background? Um, <laughs> let's go to uh, Lois. Best piece of advice you've had? Um, I'm really lucky because I, I work with, um, I now work with somebody that I worked with when I was in um, my previous secondary school and she was a non-teaching head of year then. And she's now our um, director of pastoral care. And I'm, I'm really lucky that she's very experienced um, and, and she's really approachable and she just knows the job inside out. So her, she, she sort of said, just come to me with anything. And I think, you know, and she also said to make sure that I kept staff informed about, you know, what I was doing and acknowledge when staff have emailed me and raised a query or a concern. So um, I think, you know, it's really pivotal that you don't kind of see yourself as an island. We have a school value, which is no islands, which means that not only for the students, but for the staff as well, nobody is ever on their own. So we really push that agenda. We really push the fact that, you know, the school is a team, it's a collaborative environment and the ability to go to people and ask questions and and feeling like that's an acceptable thing to do. Uh, you know, if you go to somebody and say, I'm struggling with this, any ideas on what I can do here? There is always somebody who's been either in that position or something like it that can help you. So not being afraid to go and ask for help when you need it really is, is a big. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Thank you for that. And then I've just, just because there were some comments in the chat that I didn't actually get to. Uh, Karen said that she's done her own mental health and counseling courses in order to better serve these young people. Full props. Did you know what? I haven't done any audio effects for a while. Let me give you, let me give you some plaudits on that one, Karen. And in the, I'm just trying to find it. There it is. Um, Cause I respect that. I respect that a lot. Very civilized, very civilized applause there. If that was, far not very realistic i didn't hear any whoops or anything um but yeah so karen said that she's had to do her own mental health and counseling courses in order to better serve the young people that's the best she can do yeah we've done i've done some extra mental health training um obviously i'm safeguarding lead so it comes more but i think it's definitely if you are ahead of year um and if you if you feel that there's a gap in your in your school or something then yes up if you can upskill yourself and if your school's supportive enough to enable you to do that and, and give you the time to do that then it definitely helps. I think men the mental health courses, I did a course on mental health. I did another course recently on better LGBTQ plus awareness and also kind of dealing with, with that in school as well. That was a very, very useful course. Um, again, it's just those, you can upskill yourself, definitely. There are professionals out there, but as we well know, we don't always get the access to the professional services. So sometimes we need to be the people um, who upskill ourselves. We know that teachers, when you're a teacher, you're not just a teacher. You can be a social worker, a nurse, a first aider, a counsellor, um, 
you can also be like a the mediator between parental disputes like there's we can be solicitors loads of stuff family lawyers there's a lot in our role and then finally um Johnoy, do you have i know you mentioned your advice before any other advice that kind of stands out to you that's been pivotal um, yeah, I think one of the key things, um, and I really try to make sure that I'm actively doing this, is um, being present and being visible in all aspects. Um, so, for example, with my pastoral or with any of my PPAs or so, P- yeah, PPAs or anything like that, I'd at least try to spend around 15 or so minutes just popping in to my year group, especially as I don't teach any of my year group. Um, so I really make sure that I'm as, I, I am as visible as possible. No, definitely. And one thing I was conscious of, same as you, even when I've been head of year for this many years, when I was head of year for that many years, being visible is was fundamental, but also being seen as, because at the moment, you know what it's like, when the head of year walks into a classroom, most kids are like, ooh, who's he going to come and collect? Or who's she going to come and collect? Who's in trouble? But if you can try and change that by going in and being like, hi, sir, hi, miss, hi, madam, whatever you call them. Just, I just want, I just want to find out who's been really impressive today. And then whatever kind of behavior system positives you use in your school, dishing those out and then just changes the flavor and in your head of year. And it just it just brings a more joy, joyous kind of element to your day when you go around in search of kids, getting it right, throwing out the merits or the positive behavior points, whatever you call them and saying, hi, sir, who's really impressed you today? Who's been that? Per- Do you know the whole week? Who's been your highlight of the week? Who have been the couple of kids who just been getting it right? What's the most impressive that's gone on? And noticing that is really powerful for both you as a head of year and your own mental health, but also for your year group to see you as not just the harbinger of of negativity (laughs) and dishing out detentions and whatever else, but also the person who's looking to see the kids getting it right. I've seen John and I see you come off mute. Yeah, no, thank you. I'm actually going to take that on board. (laughs) Yeah, oh no, Maurice, no, genuinely. it's, It's easier, listen, it's easier said than done. Easier said than done. But when you do do it, and you deliberately go around, not just to check up on them, to be like, oh, who's been, who's, who's getting it wrong kind of thing. Who's getting it right? And dishing it out, and it just, it just creates a better, we all know that rewards create a better atmosphere than, than, than sanctions. And most kids respond more to motivation by praise than they do to motivation by sanctions if they get it wrong. Um, most kids, that is. Some kids are different. Um, but yeah, I think that's one thing that I, actively still well i'm not ahead of you anymore but that was one thing i actively tried to do in my role um in two years ago and i've just seen lois come off mute yeah just i've literally just written that down in my diary that i'll do tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no it's one thing and just just before we finish i have looked at the ad the article that i did get um up just want to see what kind of if they had anything else their final kind of they had a tip on making time for yourself um which we've kind of spoken about and that's important mental health is key it does talk about use every opportunity to check your year group and i would add to that in the positive sense um and then what else to put yeah records evidence and i think someone mentioned stuff about um being respectful of kind of or supportive of staff concerns always i think i used to sometimes staff would email me something and even though i dealt with it i maybe forgot to email back quickly being like oh thanks for letting me know kind of thing i think that staff do value that um a lot um and i think tutors we haven't spoken about tutors at all this whole session we haven't got the time to unfortunately but depending on how your school is set up getting tutors to work together and tutors to share best practice because there's always in a year group tutors that are like 
really invested tutors that come up with their own innovative ideas on how to motivate their tutees and creating the space for them to share that with the rest of the team takes a load off your shoulders first and foremost and harnesses what members of your team are doing. I think that's quite powerful as well. One thing I think is useful as a head of year is if you've got one of those kids who seems to be getting it wrong in a lot of classes, but for some reason get it right in a, in a handful as well, creating a space where you can share the best practice of how to deal with this individual is also powerful. Um, if, yeah, there's always kids who, I don't know, maybe they really, really like PE or they really, really like whatever, hand some sort of subject, but maybe they're struggling in English and they're messing about creating a space for teachers to come together and not share best practice about pedagogy, but share best practice about how to just deal with the pupil, what approach, where they need to sit in the classroom. Are you? A lot of people think the naughty kid needs to go to the front. I disagree. I put most of my kids who find it more difficult to self-regulate at the back not because it means they're further away from me and I don't have to deal with them. What it means is they've got less of an audience. When you're at the front, you've got an audience. But too many teachers think, oh, I've got to put this little so-and-so at the front so I can monitor them. I put them in the back and I surround them with kids that are a lot more um, calm and motivated and they just have less of an audience. When you're at the front and everyone's behind you, the temptation is to look behind, see what's going on, who's looking at me, can I put something on my mini whiteboard to hold up so people can look at it behind? All that stuff happens. But it's just the little things of being the sharing it between staff and whatever else where the head of year role comes into its own. Um, right, we've run out of time. It is 2.33. All I, I, this head of year stuff, we could talk, I'm actually continuing head of years um, theme next week as well. So um, Jonoy, Lauren, Lois, by all means, we're going to continue. I've got the other head of year that wanted to join this week, but wasn't able to. She's coming on next week. If you're able to join the conversation again and talk more about um, the role and advice, we didn't. I didn't share any much advice or guidance. It was a nice platform though. Then please do join us next week as well. Um, all that's left to say is I want to thank you all individually. <laughs> so thank you, Lois, for coming on to the show. I hope you've enjoyed your time with us. Uh-huh. No worries at all. Lauren, thank you very much for being with us as well and sharing everything. Absolutely. No worries at all. And Jono, last but not least, thank you, as always, for coming on the show this afternoon. Oh, thanks, man. Really appreciate it. No worries. I hope it's been useful for you. It's been it's been enjoyable for me and for our listeners in the chat and everything else. I hope you've enjoyed the show as well. I'll be back same time next week on the Sunday Lunch Show with another pastoral focus. So if you've enjoyed this one, please share and share a like. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio. Oh, what a show. Love that. Thanks, guys. See you next week. Adios.